Welcome to the Entourage Podcast. My name is Paige Scott, and I'm going to be your host. Entourage Ministries gets its inspiration from Psalm 6811 that says, The Lord gives the command, and a great army of women proclaim the good news. Entourage is a multi-generational, multi-denominational, multicultural women's ministry based in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us today as we dive into truth from the Word so that your heart and spirit may be encouraged. Good morning, ladies, and welcome to the podcast. This is Jesse Salee. I'm the media and worship coordinator here at Entourage. And once again, it's so exciting to not just be recording and producing and releasing the podcast, but getting to speak to you today. Now, I just want to let you know my voice is a little stuffy because the beautiful fall weather is pretty non-existent right now, <laughs> or at least today. I think the high is 95. It is the middle of October, and we are getting some rain next week, so maybe it'll be a little better. And if you know me, you know that I absolutely love the fall, but I absolutely hate that I depend on an allergy pill in every morning in order to enjoy it. Anybody feel me? Anybody with me? If so, I'm so sorry. Rub your eyes for me. <laughs> uh, but anyways, I'm really excited to talk to you today about a passage that I went to about three years ago, and I stayed in it and chewed on it. And there's just a couple other pieces that the Lord kept revealing to me. And I just heard him say, now, Jesse, speak about it now. And so I'm going to speak about it because the overarching theme of this story in the Bible is actually rebellion, turning from rebellion to obedience. So this morning, I want to be obedient and being able to release what the Lord has shown me in hopes that this is the right time. This is the time he spoke to me saying now, and that it hits the ears of the people that need to listen to this, and it penetrates my heart at a deeper level as I speak it out. So we're going to be in First Kings, and we're going to be talking about the story of Elijah. And a lot of you know this particular story about Elijah. You can read about him more in the Old Testament. He's a prophet, and he is the mouthpiece of the Lord, we find, in this story. And then we have the antagonist, which is Ahab. Now, Ahab is the king of Israel in this story. And in 1 Kings 16, verse 30, it says, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Now, it doesn't go into huge detail about what King Ahab did to get the wonderful title of being the absolute most evil king of Israel's history. But what we do know about is his rebellious spirit against God. So, what it does tell us in the few short passages before Elijah comes in, it says that King, Ab King Ahab, in verse 32, he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. So whenever I talk about rebellion in this story, I'm talking about the king and the Israelites. So what you see in verse 32, him putting an altar up for Baal, and what we learn in the future is that King Ahab actually tore down altars and then put up the alt. He tore down the altars for God and he 
built up altars for Baal. So the definition of rebellion, or actually, so rebellion is something that um, my pastor has brought up on Sunday morning, and he defined it as knowing what is right and righteous and choosing to sin against that. So it's a specific kind of sin, absolutely knowing what you're doing and choosing not to do it. So King Ahab knew he was tearing down the altars in order to build altars to false gods. Why is that important? Well, I want you to think about what an altar was built for, what it was made for before we move on. They put sacrifices to God on the altar. Whenever they built the altar, it was that place between heaven and earth that atoned for your sins, that gave you the right to be in the presence or walk in the way of God. And this, my friend, is a very terrible thing to do, to deliberately take down and put up altars for false gods. Because, why? Why? Because basically you're saying, I no longer want to communicate and have a relationship with God. So, so if we don't know anything else about King Ahab, we do know that that is, a, that is the worst thing that you absolutely can do. And his altars are built for false gods, not the living God. They don't speak to them. They don't sing to them. They don't give them wisdom. They don't tell them what to do. They don't lead these people in righteousness. And that's exactly what they wanted. They didn't want to be led forth in righteousness. They wanted to be led forth on their own accords. And they got what they wanted. So in comes Elijah. He looks at the rebellious people and he speaks what God tells him to speak. Chapter 17 of 1 Kings. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve. There will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. And from that time on, there was no rain except at Elijah's word. And we find out after that that God makes provision for Elijah, one, because he gave a word that drought was coming. So who would like that? Two, because this is a rebellious people, right? And if he, like it said, is speaking for the Lord, gave that word. It says, as the Lord God of Israel lives, whom I serve, this word comes from, he said. If he is actually actively serving the Lord, then this is absolutely not the news that they want to hear anyways, because these are the people, this is the king that tore down the very place of communication and sacrifice for their sins in order to live right with God. And so God provides protection for him. He tells Elijah a brook to go for the next few years. And he brings, it's so amazing, it's crazy, the provisions God makes for him in chapter 17, verse 5. So he did what the Lord told him. He went to Kareth River, east of the Jordan, stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. 
So even though Elijah had to be alone because of that word that was very uh, opposing from the rebellious Israelites, uh, the Lord provided for him with ravens and with the brook. And then we find ourselves with the brook dried up because it's been three years and the word of God was true in Elijah's mouth. And I want to pause there and I want to encourage you that the, that God puts a word in your mouth and the only thing that you have to do to prove it true is give it time. I think this is really mysterious for a lot of people when God gives you a word, we feel like we need to do something to manifest it or add something to it in order for it to come about. But Elijah gave the word and then he obeyed the Lord where to go. And in time, over years, there was absolutely no rain. There was nothing else Elijah had to do. He didn't have to prove himself. He didn't need to be in front of the rebellious people for them to know that this is exactly what was happening. He didn't need to reiterate anything. That is just what happened because he was just obeying the Lord. And I'm saying that to myself because sometimes um, just growing up in the Southern Baptist Bible Belt in Texoma area, which is the Texas-Oklahoma borderline, in the Red Rivers between us. Uh, sometimes I feel like I, uh, I've i missed a lot of what it means to hear from the Holy Spirit, to hear from God, and and I'm scared of it. But there's so many places laced in the Bible of, of how the Lord speaks to us, and there's so many things in my story about that. But I could also give you a list of things about how I hear the Lord, and I decide to take that information and do with it what I will. And here Elijah just spoke the word and went to where the Lord had him. And it's been three years. So also being from Southeast Oklahoma, I think about how crazy it is to have to not have rain for three years. We, we toggle back and forth. Like I believe it was 2015. We have a huge lake. So the Red River that splits Oklahoma and Texas was dammed up. And it, it's one of the largest man-made lakes now in the United States called Lake Texoma. And in 2015, I believe, the spillway actually spilled over almost three times. And it devastated a lot of property along the Red River because of how much rain we got. And then on the other end, every summer, after after a pretty good wet spring, it only takes about two months. And then you start seeing red. You start seeing Yogi Bear saying, uh, don't light your fires in the camp. Don't burn any trash or anything because we're already in a drought season uh, that could cause fires, could cause grass fires, could cause uh, any kind of dangerous fire. So I think of the two months that it takes for our hot summers to get hot. And then I think of this story in the three years they had no water. And I think of the rebellious spirits that had to accept this. And it makes me think for the first, what, year? They had to have thought, oh, man, we're smart. We're savvy. I'm going to collect the water. I'm going to put water in the storehouses and we'll be fine thinking about their own devices. They didn't go to God. May I remind you, they didn't have him. They tore the altars down. They didn't sacrifice to the living father. They only had 
altars for Baal and Asherah. So in this time of drought, without the Lord, what if, what if, what a physical manifestation of what their spiritual life is at this moment. They literally cut off their living water life support and God cut off their physical water as well. And so I can just see that in the first year that they're, that they're trying everything in their own power to be okay with this. It reminds me of whenever Joseph uh, knew the word of God from his dream that seven years they'd have bumper crops in seven years, they'd have famine. And in the seven years, they the Lord provided for them double their portion so that in the famine they had storehouses. And it makes me wonder if these Israelites had that sort of provision from history before possibly that um, they knew how to store water maybe in a way for a season. But we're not talking about a season here. We're talking about seasons without God and without water. And so where do we find ourselves? Well, Elijah finds himself at the end of three years with a dried up brook. And the Lord actually moves him to live with a widow where God provides now for the widow and her son. And there are two important things that happen with the widow whenever he goes to her and she is living in the ruins of the drought, and she tells him she can't take care of him. There's no way. They don't have enough resources. And in verse 12, Elijah answers to her, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any, oh, sorry, this is what she says. Verse 17, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home, make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. In verse 13, Elijah said, don't be afraid. Go home, go as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have. Bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. Amen. So this woman who had the effects and the devastation of the drought just found her miracle in Elijah. She makes the bread for him. She makes first, and she makes the bread for herself out of obedience to the word of God through him. And they eat, and the flour and the oil does not run out. But then something even unexpected to Elijah happens. The boy dies. And firstly, I sit back and think about the goodness of the Lord. And I think about words that he gives me that I get to speak into people and to encourage them. I haven't gotten a word yet about um, people's flower never ending and their oil never ending. Um, But maybe that will come soon. But all that to say, just because I receive good words doesn't mean that I don't receive bad news either. Just because I follow the Lord doesn't mean bad things don't happen. And we're about to see in this story that something very unexpected happens next to Elijah, and that is that the boy dies. And Elijah can't believe it. He, is, he cries out to the Lord, why, why did he have to die? 
And so we find Elijah pleading for the boy. Verse 19, give me your son, he, he said. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on the bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy upon the house of the widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry. The boy's life returned to him, and he lived. Elijah picked up the child, carried him down from the room into the house, and he gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. The woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. So the reason why I wanted to to read this part of the story is because up to this point, we have now heard three words of God from Elijah's voice, from his mouth. So out of obedience, Elijah uses his voice in order to do the Lord's will. The first two times he directly heard from God, and then the third time he contended on behalf, he interceded on behalf of the boy. The Lord heard him. The Lord agreed with him. And so it was done. Now, why is this so important to the story? I believe it's important to the story because of the measure of faith received whenever um, whenever God comes through on his word. So in the first word, it was that there would just be no water and that drought was coming upon the land for years until the word is spoken again. And all Elijah did was speak that and then in obedience went to the brook. And so it was. And then the next one we have, God moving Elijah. Has the rain come yet? No, but he moves him to provide him elsewhere and to also provide for this woman to be a witness for her and her son saying that her flour and her oil won't go out. And as his faith and her faith are stirred because the Lord came through again, Um, it leads us to this third part, which is the unexpected death of the son. And I just want to beg that question. Would they have had enough faith in the Lord if he wasn't true on his word whenever he said the rain wasn't coming? And if he wasn't true on his word when he said the flour and the oil will never run out, would they believe God? Would Elijah believe God enough to contend for him and to know the power of the Lord in reviving his this widow's son if he didn't have faith in the word of God to this point. And I love how this ends because not only does Elijah have that faith that begets more faith, the widow does. At the end, she said, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Man, I never want to contend or touch, or change, or derange anywhere that the Lord has given me. I just, I kind of have flashbacks of just whenever the Lord has given me a word and I have tried to do things on my own timeline. I'll give you a specific example before we get back into the story of Elijah. But in college, my the Baptist Collegiate Ministry Director talked about just randomly, he had two, he had two boys. Yeah, he had two boys before he had a girl, and he only had one boy at this time, and he has like five kids now. So 
they are definitely fruitful and multiply in his family. Um, and I just love his family so much. Um, but he talked specifically about um, having a girl first is very underrated. He said just so randomly. He said I, he has a boy and everybody wants that big brother, brotherly love, which is very true. I, I know more people that want boys first because of that. Uh, than a girl. And he started talking about how a female has maternal instincts, that they're little mamas, they're independent, they take care of their family. They just take care of their little family unit like a mom would independently with less needs than a boy. And I and there was just something inside of me where I, I just felt my wishes and God's will click saying that you you'll have a girl first, Jesse. You'll have a girl first. And he didn't tell me when, and and I didn't get to decide when. I wasn't dating anybody then when he said that. I wasn't married then. I just knew that when the time came, I'd have a girl first. And if it, and so you know, I really didn't know the timeline. That was around 2013, and I didn't get pregnant with our daughter Sage until 2019, fall of 2019. So. Yeah, two years ago. So amazing. I was almost five years into marriage at that time. And we didn't know when we'd have a baby. But when I found out that I was pregnant, I told Jed, my husband, it's a girl. It's a girl. And that's something that I couldn't alter. That's something that I couldn't um, mess up. But could I try? Yes. Uh, Did I want a baby before the five years into marriage? Yes. Did I finally have peace with it? Yes. And then I got pregnant (laughs) after even thinking about um, even future thoughts of adoption and fostering and still have those. But all that to say, um, whenever we found out that she was a girl, my faith was stirred because his word was true. And and I'm not saying the Lord speaks that way always. He, He spoke to me recently about, a simple thing about what to write in my friend's birthday card. And then she told me that she actually spoke specifically to her counselor that week about the same stuff I wrote down that I would have never written down had the Lord not revealed to me because she needed this comfort from him. But it was truth. It was just truth of who she was. And he gave me the truth that we'd have a little girl um, first. And, And a lot of times I don't get... Um, answers like that. I don't. I don't get that um, voice, but but I do because of it. Have more faith stirred for the next word he gives me. And here Elijah's faith was stirred because now not only does he wait on the Lord, but he knows that his word and his relationship with God gives him the right to ask the Lord in His name that His will be done. And at the end, we find the woman in him know that the words from Elijah's mouth is truth. Hallelujah. Amen. God, may we be people of your truth. May it be so life-changing, life-bending, life-transforming, life-giving that people know us by your truth and repent. Okay, so now we actually get to the part of the story where um, the protagonist meets the antagonist where Ahab is back in the story. Uh, Elijah is sent back to go to Ahab. It says, chapter 18, after a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go 
present yourself to Ahab. I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went and did that. So Elijah found Obadiah, servant of Ahab. Obadiah did not want to see him because he was scared of him because they haven't had rain for three years. Uh, But in obedience, he went and told Ahab that Elijah was there. And so in verse 16, uh, Obadiah went to meet Ahab, told him to meet. Verse 17, when he saw Elijah, he said, is that you, you troubler of Israel? And I'll pause here for a second because I think it's hilarious. Um, have any of you, people, I, I don't know if, if it's if you're more my age or if you follow Candace Owens because I swear she says like this all the time. But have you heard of the word gaslighting? Because I feel like this is an expression um, that this situation uh, basically defines what gaslighting is. So King Ahab was the one that tore down the altars, put up altars to false gods, right? And so Elijah um, was the one that spoke the consequences of the actions. And King Ahab decided not to like that. And over time, his view is now twisted that it wasn't Ahab's uh, fault or doings that made this rain happen. It was the word of Elijah that did it. So he in turn called Elijah a troubler, even though it was Ahab's fault in what he did. And so apparently that's called gaslighting whenever you twist the truth about somebody and then try to become the victim when you're the person that is guilty in the first place. So here we have Ahab starts saying, you troubler of Israel. That's so crazy. Um, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah says. He's just going to put them straight in verse 18. But you, your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's command and have followed Baals. You now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me in Mount Carmel and bring 450 prophets of Baal, 450 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent them and they all gathered. And Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left. So Baal has 450, get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves. Let them cut it into pieces Put it on the wood, so but not to set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls, prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God. Do not light the fire. So they took the bull given to them and prepared it. So here we have putting up an altar to their God um, that is non-existent. And they called on the name of Baal from the morning till noon. And they cried for for Baal to answer. They shouted. They danced around the altar they made. And it said, (laughs) at verse 27, Elijah began to taunt them, shout louder. He said, surely he's a God. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy or traveling, maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder, slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom until their blood flowed. Verse 29, midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Verse 30, then Elijah said to the people, come to me. 
and they came. They just came. And he, what, repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. So not only did these people just make an altar of sacrifice to Baal, they still don't even have their altar made from the altars they destroyed of the Lord. And they didn't hear them, and they slashed themselves. They were literally trying to mix a word that they have not gotten with their actions. If only we could just do this, then it will be done. And it wasn't done for them. But see, the Lord works in a different way. The Lord doesn't need us to get anything done. He just needs us to obey him and trust him in order to get things done. And what is the first thing Elijah does? He doesn't touch their altar. He doesn't touch the altar of Baal. He repairs the place that it all started, where they destroyed their lifeline from the Father through the sacrifice that they give of sins to themselves, and he restores it. Verse 30, he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. 31, Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars of water, pour it on the altering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench before we even get to the sacrifice. Why, why did he dig a trench? Growing up, I heard that he um, poured the water on the sacrifice so that when God answered in fire, it would be inevitably known that it was God. But he dug trenches. Don't you think that is a little overkill? And in this, I mean, you'll just be prayerful about it. I've been prayerful about it, and I've talked about it with a, a few pastors. And they they said that the knowledge that I received seems right to it, but there's no commentary on this. This is my commentary on it, so take it or leave it. But Elijah dug that trench and said it could fill two seahs of seed. That has nothing to do with the altar. And what was the trench dug for? For water. And if you remember, the only thing Elijah said was to prepare bull sacrifices and whoever, um, who, whatever God answered in fire would win. So there was no water in the first one. The false God sacrifice was never lit and they didn't even have water on it. And here Elijah comes. He repairs the altar of the Lord which had to have been the biggest reminder slash slap in the face of, of the actions of all these false prophets up to now because they haven't even used an altar for a sacrifice for the Lord, at least in the three years. And it had to have been longer because that's why the rain came, because they were rebellious, rebellious people, deliberately tearing them down and putting up false altars, altars for Baal. But I and and then and then Elijah does something so bold and says, Go get your four things of water. And they gladly throw it on there. 
And then he says, go do it again. And they throw it on there and the trenches start to fill. And then he says a third time, do it. And I want you to realize that this water is the precious resource why they think Elijah's a troubler. A troubler. This water is what has moved them to decide to act and to try to do something with Elijah because they haven't had rain. They are desperate now. They have found that they can't do anything. They found that their ways are not high enough to fix this, this lack of rain. And I just love that the very thing that they want is the very thing Elijah is telling them to surrender on the altar. So much so that he lavishly puts trenches to catch this water that overflows over the bull that's not even soaked up in the wood or the sacrifice anymore. It is just filled on the edges. And don't you think these people, if they don't see a move of God, are just waiting to devour Elijah? Because if he's wrong, he just wasted their most precious resource. So here we are with the soaked sacrifice, soaked wood, water flowing everywhere, the very resource that is more precious to them than gold right now. They don't even have enough for their cattle to survive at this point. And then it says, 36, the time of sacrifice, Elijah stepped forward and prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant and have done all the things you at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Elijah commanded them. After, after all of this, he commanded that the prophets be seized. All of them were slaughtered. And then Elijah tells Ahab to go eat and drink, for the sound of rain came. And what I want to remind you is how Elijah was told by God to answer this rebellious people's problem was not by giving them rain. No, that's not what happened. What Elijah did was tell them to see if their God could fix their problem. Did it? No. Great. Next step, restore the place where they cut off their communication in ways with the Lord, building the altar. And then thirdly, he put a sacrifice on there that was pleasing and acceptable to the Lord. And before uh, he offered it up to the Lord, what did he do? He dumped, he lavishly dumped water on there in surrender of the one thing that they were wanting more than God, more than anything. He told them to dump their water on the altar. And then, only then, at God's command, did he bring fire down from heaven. And it says that, and, and in this, in this huge imagery, in this huge witness from the crowd, what does it say was happening? Oh, Lord God, you are turning their hearts back again. So if you find yourself in a rebellious spirit where you absolutely know how to live for God, what to do, just to be with him, trust him, obey him, and you deliberately lay that down for comfort, for your own way to do something else, 
to just not listen to him, to just tear down that place of communication, to stop pleading the blood of Jesus Christ over you. Uh, and if and if you don't have a personal relationship with him, message us and we can talk about uh, the blood of Jesus over us because we do not offer sacrifices any any longer. We have um, the perfect sacrifice in the Messiah of Jesus who came. And so do we go through the steps of our rebellious spirit? Do we first look at our lives and say, oh, this isn't working? Two, do we repair that place where we decided to stop trusting the Lord? Three, do we surrender what we have put in front of the Lord that we want so badly and then offer that sacrifice to him? And then four, do we just trust and see that the God who he was, is, and is to come was always there and that he accepts our our offering in a pleasing and satisfying way because that's how our hearts will turn from rebellion to obedience. And then and only then will the Lord, us yielding to the Lord, will he reveal to us things that our hearts desire, one being just things we need. And just like Elijah told Ahab to go prepare himself uh, for the rain, the rain did come. And I'm just going to end it there and say, uh, maybe you don't identify necessarily with the rebellious spirit. Maybe you do. Maybe it is just that issue of putting things in front of the Lord that is so upfront that um, you've stopped having a relationship with him because your needs has become more important to you. And the Lord is saying, surrender that to me too. I take care of everything. Offer it up to me as a pleasing sacrifice and I will accept it and I will give you something better. I will restore our relationship and then I'll give you everything you need and the rain will come. And I've closed my Bible now, but it actually says when the rain comes, it comes like a hand stretched out. And I love that image. The Father's hand is stretched out coming towards you. All who turn from their rebellious spirit and obey the Father. His hand of love, truth, need, grace, prosperity to give you that rain, to provide for animals, family, so that your children will live healthy is all there. Have we turned from him or do we follow him? Father, I just thank you for this story today. I thank you for all the things you're revealing to us in this story. And I just pray that as we take these steps and take a look at what has happened in this story and how we can relate to it, Father, that you just test our hearts and our spirits of where we are. I ask you to reveal to things in us the things that aren't working in our lives. What are the places in our in our hearts? in our minds, in our flesh that are fixed, that are fixed in the world that we go to and they're not working. Will you just reveal to that to us so that we can offer that to you? I pray that if there's things that we put in front of you that we are so in need of and it consumes us because we don't look a certain way, we don't dress a certain way, our house isn't the right way, we have the sense of urgency to fix something instead of just give it to you, put it in your hands and obey you and see you provide for us. Father, I just pray that you just take that away from us and and you do exchange that restless spirit with your peace 
and your joy. May our eyes be set on you and set on the sky in expectancy as we have turned from our rebellion in obedience to you, to your word and your truth that so stirred Elijah from the moment, from the words that he was given before to the word he was confident to say that your fire will rain down, Father. May we be so confident that your hand is stretched out and the rain is coming for us, Lord whatever that rain is, whatever that provision is, whatever that love is. Father, may we, may we be expectant like Elijah after things are set right. May we be expectant as we wait on you that your hand is stretching over us and it is bringing abundance. And Father, may we not feel depraved anymore. You are a father of abundance. You never give out of depravity. You give out of abundance wealth, love. There is nothing ending with you. You're a living water, always flowing. You're a love that's never ending. Your grace that's given every morning and mercy every morning, Father. And I just pray in this new day as we receive this word that it is refreshing to our hearts, that it softens us and that and that it heals us and brings us closer to you. We love you, Father, and we thank you for today. In your name I pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Entourage Ministries, visit our website at entourageministries.com or visit us on Facebook or Instagram. 